The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amara. The first day of our two-day hybrid urban retreat. It's the 26th of November 2022. And for this and the next Taisho at least, we're going to be um, reading from and commenting on our appointment with life, the Buddha's teaching on living in the present. And this is a little booklet um, from Thich Nhat Hanh, who died recently, about getting on for a year ago now. Um, and he gives a translation and a commentary on um, a bunch of sutras that uh, address this uh, living in the present. And uh, he originally was translating the material into Vietnamese, and that was uh, then translated by uh, Sister Annabel Laity. Um, I don't think that um, Thich Nhat Hanh needs much introduction. He's, he's probably the most well-known of all uh, Buddhist teachers, the, um, current contemporary ones at least. Um, there's a little bit of biographical material on the back of the book. He says that he is a Vietnamese, or was a Vietnamese, Buddhist monk, poet, and peace activist. He was the founder of the Van Han Buddhist University in Saigon and was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. And at the time of this printing of this book, he was the author of 75 books, uh, very pro prolific. Uh, and it would, I'm sure that figure would be quite a bit higher now. Um, and probably his, among his most well-known books are Being Peace and uh, The Miracle of Mindfulness. And um, he, when this book was published, he was giving many retreats on mindful living throughout the world and um, lived in exile from Vietnam in France. So now to return to turn to our text. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh quotes a number of short sutras that uh, include reference to this this living in the present. But he gives at the beginning of the book he gives he gives two of these sutras in full. They're quite short, um, and they they form the basis for his his commentary, his practical advice to us. And they, uh, these various sutras, the two we're going to read in full and the other ones, they, they, they sort of present variations on a theme that, that builds a picture, quite a vivid uh, picture of what it means to be living in the present. And the first, the first of the sutras that he um, presents to us it's called the Theranamo Sutra Sutta. it's translated um, here from the a Chinese version it starts I heard these words of the Buddha one time when the Lord was staying at the monastery in the Jetta Grove in the town of Shravasti 
Now all the, all the sutras start the same way. Traditionally it's translated, thus I have heard. And that is Ananda speaking, who um, had this prodigious memory and was able to remember all, all the teachings of the Buddha and pass them on to others after his passing. So this is the scene that's set for us. Um, the, the, the Buddha was gathered, gathered with his, his followers in Jetta Grove in the town of Shravasti. At that time, there was a monk named Tera who always preferred to be alone. Whenever he could, he praised the practice of living alone. He sought arms alone and sat alone in meditation. One time, a group of bhikkhus, that's monks, came to the Lord, paid their respect by prostrating at his feet, stepped to one side, sat down at a distance and said, Blessed one, there is an elder by the name of Tera who only wants to be alone. He always practices the practice of living alone. He goes into the village alone to seek alms, returns home from the village alone, and sits in meditation alone. Um, the, the little bit that comes before what they say about prostrating and sitting to one side, these were always just um, the, the convention of um, showing respect to the teacher in this manner. So they, you find them at the beginning of of um, many, many suttas, if not all. So he, we're presented with this image of, of um, this particular monk and his practice alone. The Lord Buddha told one of the bhikkhus, please go to the place where the monk Thera is and tell him I wish to see him. The bhikkhu obeyed. When the monk Thera heard the Buddha's wish, he came without delay, prostrated at the feet of the Buddha, stepped to one side and sat down at a distance. Then the Buddha asked the monk, Thera, is it true that you prefer to be alone, praise the life of solitude, go for alms alone, come back from the village alone and sit in meditation alone? The, the monk replied, it is true, blessed one. The Buddha then asked him, how do you live alone? The monk replied, I live alone, no one else lives with me. I praise the practice of being alone. I go for alms alone, and I come back from the village alone. I sit in meditation alone, that is all. And uh, we also get a t flavor of the, these, these Pali suttas that, that there's um, often a lot of repetition and this may have been may have been struck this structured in this way in order to facilitate memorization because for the first 200 years after the time of the buddha uh, these these teachings were passed on uh, orally they weren't written down the buddha taught the monk as follows it is obvious that you like the practice of living alone. I do not want to deny that, but I want to tell you that there is a wonderful way to be alone. It is the way of deep observation, to see that the past no longer exists and the future has not yet come, and to dwell at ease in the present moment, 
free from desire. When a person lives in this way, he has no hesitation in his heart. He gives up all anxieties and regrets, lets go of all binding desires, and cuts the fetters that prevent him from being free. This is called the better way to live alone. There is no more wonderful way of being alone than this. So this is the first presentation we have of this teaching. Going beyond the mere appearance of being alone, we could say. Then the Blessed One recited this gutta. In observing deeply, it is possible to see clearly all that is, not enslaved by anything. It is possible to put aside all craving. The result is a life of peace and joy. This is to truly live alone. Hearing the words, the monk Thera was delighted. He prostrated respectfully to the Buddha and departed. We'll be coming back and commenting a little bit more on this later. And just we'll have a look at the, the other one, the other short sutta that um, we have in full here. And this one has been translated from the Pali. I heard these words of the Buddha one time when the Lord was staying at the monastery in the Jetta Grove in the town of Shravasti. He called all the monks to him and instructed them, bhikkhus. And the bhikkhus replied, we are here. The Blessed One taught, I will teach you what is meant by knowing the better way to live alone. I will begin with an outline of the teaching and then I will give a de detailed explanation. Bhikkhus, please listen carefully. And um, this gives us another aspect of the sort of structure of the, um, the Pali Suttas that, and, and Sanskrit ones as well, that often there will be um, a presentation of the teaching in uh, verse form, and then it'll be um, told also uh, in prose. And again, this um, um, no doubt this is this structure is also to facilitate people learning the the teaching by heart with the 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 rhythm and rhyme of the verse and um, helping to to uh, internalize the teaching. So the first part is given in verse. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is, in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today. To wait until tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? The sage calls a person who knows how to dwell in mindfulness night and day, one who knows the better way to live alone. So that's the, that's the summary of this teaching. And um, this, this particular verse is, is found not only in these two sutta, in this sutta, and, and, but in quite a few others that come at it from various angles. Now we have the, the, the prose part of this. Bhikkhus, 
What do we mean by pursuing the past? When someone thinks about the way his body was in the past, the way his feelings were in the past, the way his perceptions were in the past, the way his mental factors were in the past, the way his consciousness was in the past, then he thinks about these, when he thinks about these things and his mind is burdened by and attached to these things which belong to the past, then that person is pursuing the past. So we get these, these five categories. Um, and uh, these are known um, in Buddhist teaching as the five skandhas. body, feelings, perceptions, mental factors or formations, and consciousness. They, they are um, categories uh, for our experience, you could say, and um, we, we mistake through these, these five ways in which we experience the world, we mistake them for a solid abiding self. Um, in in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, they refer to the five skandhas as the perishing collection. And skanda means heap. So if we can imagine these these categories as as shifting and changing like sand dunes. I'll say a little bit more about these each of these. Um, uh, skanda sometimes translated as heap, sometimes as aggregate, aggregates. And this is a, a brief explanation of them. So the aggregate of material form, rupa, includes the physical body with its sense faculties as well as the external material objects. So um, our... Uh, Experience of sight is is conditioned by our organ of sight, the eye, what we're looking at, what the visual uh, objects, and also the process of uh, how we how we process our vision. So um, there's somebody waving, wanting to come in. Oh, you've just gone out again. <laughs> Maybe you better check it out, honey. And the same, the same for the other senses. So um, it's not just not a, a neutral process, but an interacting process with the, our sight, objects of sight, and the process of uh, that we have to go through to to make sense of that that what we see. The aggregate of feeling, vedana, is effective. The elef, effective element of experience. In other words, everything we experience, we, we experience as pain, pleasant, painful, or neutral. So that's the feelings. Perception is the third aggregate and is the factor responsible for noting the qualities of things and also accounts for recognition and memory. The formations aggregate mental factors, 
sankhara, is an umbrella term that includes all volitional, emotive, and intellectual aspects of mental life. And the fifth one, consciousness, uh, vijnana, uh, is the basic awareness of, of an object that is in, indispensable to all cognition. So it can be hard to get, kind of get our minds around these, but they're really um, all interrelated. They all they overlap each other. They're not, not entirely separate. Um, but they're one way of making sense of, of all, that, all that is that we experience that we mistake for a solid and abiding self. So in Sutra, our experience is being, being presented, broken down into these categories. So he the Buddha continues, Bhikkhus, what is meant by not pursuing the past? When someone thinks about the way his body was in the past, the way his feelings were in the past, the way his perceptions were in the past, the way his mental factors were in the past, the way his consciousness was in the past, when he thinks about these things, but his mind is neither enslaved by nor attached to these things which belong to the past, then that person is not pursuing the past. So again, we get this, this repetition of this series, but this time it ends with uh, not being enslaved. Um, so it's, it's a, an important point is being made here and is saying it, all of this and ending up with not being, not being enslaved is that we will have uh, memories. It's not, it would be strange, very, uh, not part of human nature to be to totally without ever thoughts coming into our minds about the past. But the point is that um, not to pursue them, not to um, fixate on them. Let, them. let them arise, let them have a certain life and let them pass away. Then he, he continues, the Buddha continues, what is meant by losing yourself in the future when someone thinks about the way his body will be in the future, the way his feelings will be in the future, the way his perceptions will be in the future, the way his mental factors will be in the future, the way his consciousness will be in the future. Then he thinks about these things and his mind is burdened by and daydreaming about these things which belong to the future. Then that person is losing himself in the future. primary example we'd have just in a sitting like this is, is we're, we're experiencing some pain, maybe it's more intense than we expected, and then uh, we add on top of that pain, oh, if it's like this now, how bad is it going to be in, in three hours, or how awful will it be tomorrow? So we, we extrapolate from what's happening right now and actually make, make the whole thing so much worse. 
uh, it also can come up for us, for instance, when we're, we're sick or experiencing some kind of infirmity, then we assume that we know what it's going to be like in the future. We, we imagine dire consequences of what's happening now going into the future. And of course, the f to think about the future is to disempower ourselves because we can't do anything about it until it's, it's present. So then we, in the next section, he goes again about what is not losing yourself and mentions again all the, the five skandhas. And then ends with, he thinks about these things, but his mind is not burdened by or daydreaming about these things which belong in the future. Then he is not losing himself in the future. And then finally, he... Um, he talks about what does it mean to be not swept away by the present. It's a little different, this third one. When somebody does not study or learn anything about the awakened one, or the teachings of love and understanding, or the community that lives in harmony and awareness, then that person knows nothing about the noble teachers and their teachings, and does not practice these teachings and, and thinks, this body is myself, I am this body. These feelings are myself, I am these feelings. This perception is myself, I am this perception. This mental factor is myself, I am this mental factor. This consciousness is myself, I am this consciousness. Then that person is being swept away by the present. So first in this, um, he mentions... Um, the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And so when we, know, when we don't take refuge in these, then we're allowing ourselves to be swept away. And then the other part is that we identify with our feelings, our sensations, our habits, and so forth, our consciousness. We turn them into uh, a thing and then and then cling on to that, strongly onto that identification. Then he goes through, again, uh, what does it mean to not be swept away by the present? When someone studies and learns about the awakened one, the teachings of love and understanding, and the community that lives in harmony and awareness, when that person knows about noble teachers and their teachings, practices these teachings, and does not think this body is myself, I am this body, and goes through the rest of the skandhas in that way, then that person is not being swept away by the present. So this is presented as the way to, to stop ourselves being... Uh, swept away. We can just take take one example here. Say we take um, the mental factors. Saying this mental factor is myself. I am this mental factor. We think of how our mind is formed. 
how what are um, how our habits are sort of ingrained in our brain, then, then we can see that they're much more than what we think of as the self. Our habits are conditioned by all sorts of things, by society, by the family we have, by our peers, by cultural norms. And all of that is other than what we would normally think of as self. They contain, they contain so much that we can identify as, as, as not self. So it's, we can, we can reify all of this into something solid, and then we we are carried away by the present as well. So he ends, because I have presented the outline and the detailed explanation of knowing the better way to live alone. Thus the Buddha taught and the bhikkhus were delighted to put his teachings into practice. bit of more information on um, variations on this this theme that appear in this in the suttas. Um, here's another another gutta sitting alone, resting alone, going forth alone, without laziness. He who understands deeply the roots of suffering enjoys great peace while dwelling in solitude. The roots, he who understands deeply the roots of suffering. This, this is a, a reference to the, the three poisons. Uh, craving, aversion, and delusion. So to truly understand these is to be able to act in ways that don't uh, Aren't, aren't distorted by these these three. So we get coming to to, to um, the 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 deeper meaning of of, of um, being alone is to you could say to be all one. Not, not separate from our surroundings, not mentally separating ourselves from other people. There's a little bit more here about Thera, who was in the first um, sutta that we read. This monk was not praised by his fellow practitioners or by the Buddha. Perhaps he had heard, this is Thich Nhat Hanh now speaking, perhaps he had heard that the practice of being alone was commendable and he wanted to practice living alone, but he lived the solitary life only according to the outer form 
and his fellow practitioners noticed that there was something unbalanced in it. They told the Buddha about him, and the Buddha invited Thera to come and see him. When Thera presented himself, the Buddha asked, people say that you like living alone and that you praise the practice of solitude. Is that true? The monk replied, yes, Lord, it is true. What is your way of living alone, said the Buddha. Then Thera replied, I walk into the village for alms alone, I leave the village alone, and I come back to the monastery alone. I eat the midday meal alone. I practice sitting meditation alone. And then the Buddha replies, Monk Tara, it is true that you live alone. I cannot deny that. But I wanted to tell you of the way to live alone that is much more enjoyable, more deep and wonderful. Then the Buddha taught him, let go of what is past, let go of what is not yet. Observe deeply what is happening in the present moment, but do not be attached to it. This is the wonderful way to live alone. He goes on a little bit later. I believe that after the monk Thera heard the Buddha's teaching, he changed his way of living alone. The Buddha taught that being in the present moment is the way to live alone. If a person cannot live mindfully in the present moment, then even if he or she is all alone in the forest, it is not truly living alone. It reminds me of a story um, of a, a Zen student who um, was fired up to do to do solitary practice and went to a to a hermitage in the middle of a forest, and was was delighted to be in this quiet place and no no um, distractions, nobody telling him what to do, and he started to to sit strongly in his little hut, and then became fixated on the sound of the stream that was running past his hut and um, started to hear, hear like uh, notes of, of uh, uh, the changing uh, sounds of the stream. And it was getting more and more annoyed by this, this, this uh, repetitive, monotonous, um, tune, you could say, that the stream was playing and found himself at a certain point um, going down to the, to the stream and starting to rearrange the rocks to change the, this annoying uh, sound that he was hearing. And of course, um, there wasn't any fault in the stream. It, it was what he brought to that environment. So that even, even when uh, we can have this maybe a perfect environment to sit in in the depths of the forest. We still have our baggage. We take that with us wherever we go.
As the Buddha taught, a person who knows the better way to live alone does not necessarily live isolated from society. To put society at a distance and to live isolated in the forest is no guarantee of being alone. If we continue to go back to the past, worry about the future, or drown in the distractions of the present, we can never be alone. One who knows the better way to live alone can do so right in society. Um, quite a lot of people will, will be attracted to uh, training in a, in a monastic environment or a, um, a Zen center um, because they have a strong aversion to um, the, the, their own experience of ordinary life. Um, when, when I was receptionist at the Zen Center, we'd, so, we'd sometimes get calls of, uh, from usually almost entirely young men at that stage saying, I want to be a monk. And uh, it, was, it was always a, a red flag to receiving those calls because this was somebody who'd never been to the center, had no idea whether, whether he was suited to that life um, even if there had been monks, we didn't actually train monks, but monk, a monk-like existence. And it was, it was really clear when those calls came that um, that person had to be slowed down, come to a workshop, come and see the, see the experience, the daily practice. And um, it, because that desire wasn't coming out of a real place, it was coming out of, a, of an idea about... Um, society. There's a, a, a section uh, where Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, explores the different, um, different, different sutras where this, these, these teachings um, are found. There's another one called the Migajala Sutta. The Buddha instructed Migajala, the forms and images which are the objects of our vision can be pleasant, enjoyable, and memorable, and can lead to craving and desire. If a monk is attached to them, then he is bound by them, and he is not alone, he is always with another. And this applies to any of the senses, not just objects of our vision, but of our um, hearing and tasting and smelling and touching. The expression being with another is translated from the word satya diva vihari. It is the opposite of living alone. 
when the, the Buddha used this word, he did not mean that the monk was living with other people. He meant that the monk who is bound by any objects, even objects of consciousness, is in fact living with those objects. Um, when we chant the, the, um, the four vows, um, we say, the first one we say, all beings without number I vow to liberate. And you can say most obviously this is reference to our, our aspiration to, to um, help others to awaken, to liberate, to liberate all beings. But we can also understand it as liberating the beings that we um, hold in our hearts and minds. Um, that, that uh, to release, you could say, to release what we are enslaved by, um, um, the mental and emotion, emotional beings that we cling to, our, our chains that we drag around. This is, this is the way in which we are with another as well. There's, a, there's another Zen story that um, is relevant here. Um, again, it's a, a two monks going on pilgrimage and when they reach a particular river which is quite high and there's, there's a young girl there who's um, concerned about getting to the other side safely. And so one of the two monks um, picks her up and carries her across. And um, the, the, his companion monk stews on this for a while, but then, then at a certain point as they've left the river and gone on on their journey, he says, what did you do there? We, we have a vow not to touch women. How come you would do that? Um, and the, the, the monk who'd carried the girl across the river said, I left the girl at the, at the river's edge. Why don't you put her down too? To live, to live unattached, to, to um, not be caught up in our ideas of right and wrong to respond and move on. The Buddha taught that to, taught Migajala that a person who knows the better way to live alone is someone who lives at ease, not bound by the internal formations which are based on the objects of the six senses, i.e. form, sound, smell, taste, touch, and the objects of the mind. The Buddha concluded, Migajala, if a monk lives like this, then in the center of the village, even in the center of a village, with monks, nuns, or lay practitioners, among royalty or high-ranking officials, or with those who practice another way, he is still someone who knows the better way to live alone. He can be said to be living alone because he has freed himself from all attachments. Among this list, um, royalty, officials, and so forth, we could maybe add today, we could add um, celebrities, beautiful people, influencers, 
the rich and the famous and the and the powerful can be can we be around these people without um, being perturbed by having our, our practice disturbed well I'm being signaled that that um, our time is up so um, we'll tomorrow we'll continue with this and we'll get more into um, practical um, uh, teachings on how to put this uh, true, this, this profound living alone uh, into practice. We'll, we'll stop now and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passion. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org. Dot NZ.